begin transmission. Hello, everybody. It is Chris, a.k.a. Star Raptor, joined by Ben for Outer Rim Transmission. This is episode 101 on the docket for tonight. We're talking to Mandalorian season three, episode four. We're halfway through season three at this point. We're also going to be talking about the Bad Batches penultimate season two episode called, uh, what is it called again? Oh my gosh. That's one way to start the show. I don't even know the name of the episode. Okay, I can tell you it's that right newest now. Episode. It is called Tipping Point. There you go, everybody. We're flying by the seat of our pants here on the Outer Rim Transmission Podcast. No notes, just flying into it. Um, and much more. Jedi, Survivor, and other video game content. And some movie updates as well. It's going to be a packed show tonight, so we're going to just dive right into it. Uh, but first, we're going to talk about our week at Star Wars. I have just a random, really easy, quick one. Um, I ran to a guy named Han today, so that was that was fun. I should have been like, hey, like Han, like Han Solo, but I didn't I didn't go that far. Um, so I don't know if anybody in a chat or Ben, if you've ran into somebody named Dak or Dash or anything like that, like a like a Star Warsy name in the real world where you're like, huh? You know, but yeah, I thought that I was mean, funny. I mean, th- I mean, you have I mean, my name, Ben, Ben Kenobi, <laughs> but yeah. um, but I, I have met one when I was in college. I met a Leia, actually, and it was spelled the exact same way. So that was pretty cool. But that was the only instance I've ever... I've never ran into a Han. I've ran into a, a Leia. And then my um my younger cousin, he went to school with somebody named Anakin, actually. And Whoa. that was pretty cool. What? Mm-hmm. Like, the, and you know there's yeah. like no other way they could have had another um inspiration for that name. Like, that is... There's and, never and here's been the thing too. Else. It wasn't like one of those weird spellings, like where they changed letters. It was spelled exactly like the Star Wars version. And I was like, okay, because because you know the kid would have been, he's I mean, he's probably like 20 years old. So the parents are probably you know th- close to 40 or so. So like you know, I'm sure they watched the prequels. <laughs> yeah, it's just you don't you don't come up with that name out of thin air. Not being a Star Wars fan, that's for sure. Oh no, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Have any noteworthy Star Wars things that happened to you in the last seven days' time? Yeah, I actually um I bought Star Wars Battlefront One um on digital on the Xbox Store this week. It was only ten bucks, so I was playing through that, and it's just so good. Like like the campaign is excellent. It's 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 cool because you can do like the campaign, like the um, the prequel era or the or the original trilogy era, and it's cool because for like the um, the prequel era one, you can choose like droids or clone side to be on, so uh, like the droids or like the good guys side to be on, basically. So base so um, you know when you when you play as the droids initially, like you do the invasion of Naboo, and like you know you're literally your um your objective from palpatine is wipe out all the gungans and you know you just go part you know part of the map to part of the map to part of the map just like taking out the gungans and like slowly working your way toward like uh feed and everything so it was, it's really cool so i played through through that campaign and everything and it's it's a lot of fun like and it's it's definitely you know even though it's an, it's almost a 20 year old game now it's it's so much fun because it's actually hard because you know a lot of games mm. a lot of games nowadays i feel like i mean it could be nostalgia or something but i think a lot of games nowadays to a degree are not as difficult no, um, to an extent not. so like i i had the setting on battlefront one set to hard and i was getting killed like left and right and left and right and then um you know like when we were on certain levels when when uh 
when like the the republic i guess the i guess the republic side of things you know when they would get mm-hmm. like obi-wan or anakin or mace windu you know those guys were like unstoppable so you know i was just like running from them on the map because you couldn't on on battlefront one you couldn't kill the the heroes actually like mace windu or count dooku like they couldn't die literally so um so it definitely it was hard um but yeah i played through that so that was a lot of fun Hell yeah. I mean, I've I've been thinking about going to Republic Commando ever since Scorch was made canon. I said, oh, okay, so well, a, a version of that story is probably going to be brought up at some point, or at least I can head canon it now, saying it will be canon, so I have more drive to replay the game, because I did play that game way back when. I have it on the Switch. Um, I'm going to be going to Celebration, a lot of trains, a lot of planes, so I think that'll be the time where I'll be able to literally sit down, have nothing else to do but play Republic Commando. Or... Um, as we'll talk about later in the show, maybe some other uh, first-person Star Wars games that came out about 20 years ago. I might have more of an itch to play those uh, based off what we've been hearing in the news lately. So, yeah, I mean, uh, Battlefront 1 is not a game I can really say I've played a whole lot of. I think I never even owned the game. Nope. I uh, That's why, like, people are so dead set. I know, Ben, you're like, oh, yeah, like, nothing can compare. I can't really compare it because I just never really got into it as much as the other people because I just yeah. never owned the game, you know? Oh, yeah, that's totally understandable. I mean, like, when it came to that game, too, back in the day, like, it's, I mean, I didn't really back in the day, I played it this week, but, you know, back then, the thing about that game as well, it's a lot harder for your characters to die, so you're not, like, getting killed, like, instantaneously. Mm-hmm. But um, because, like, the second Battlefront 2 um, from the original versions... You know, you were able to, like, get taken out a lot easier. But, uh, but, yeah, the original one was really good. It had its quirks. Obviously, like, the graphics are nothing like today's games. But mm-hmm. still, it's just um, it's a lot of fun. The maps are big on that one. Um, one of my favorite maps is there. there's a uh, there's a Tatooine map. So it's like you have the... It's kind of like the, the mini version, mini version of A New Hope. So on the outskirts, you have, like, the Lars Homestead. Mm-hmm. And then... If you circle around the map, you have um, you have the Dune Sea with like the Sarlacc pit and everything, and then if you circle around the map a little more, you have the uh, the Jawa Sandcrawler. Wit, and then like outside the map is where an X-wing or a Tie Fighter can can be, depending on what side you're on. So oh, it's it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, I it's it's good jumping back in those old games, and it's great that Xbox. Oh, yeah. Unlike the PlayStation. No, no, I'm not trying to start console wars on the show. I'm not trying to do that here. Um, But at least Xbox has the ability to do backwards compatibility. Um, And they've been doing a really good job. The the one game that I'm still, damn it, waiting on the game is Bounty Hunters. And I I feel like... And Obi-Wan. Yeah, but I I don't know. I feel like the code for Obi-Wan, they just can't use it or something. Because I know Uh, Bounty Hunters is possible because they have it on a freaking PlayStation 4. So come on, Xbox, like get the rights for it or whatever you have to do to backwards compatibility that game. Even though they said they were basically done with that whole thing. They've done every game they possibly can with that, apparently. Um, but, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to talking more about the, the game stuff coming up. But getting into it, some housekeeping here on the channel. Uh, we do have this available to download in any podcast streaming choice, uh, streaming app of your choice there. So you search Outer Rim Transmission, the new episodes go up on Mondays. As for being part of the live show, we go live every Friday from 9 o'clock Eastern 
to about 10 30 11 o'clock or so we'd love for you guys to join in on the conversation as we have a lively discussion every week here on the channel as far as my presence at star wars celebration i will be there as this screenshot has us seeing here the bounty hunters smugglers and gangsters the scum and villainy through the years I will be moderating this panel with Ethan Sachs, writer of the Bounty Hunter comics, with Adam Christopher, author of Shadow of the Sith, with Dominic Jones, and with Kieran Duggan from the Star Wars Underworld Podcast Network, and with Matt from Phanthotrax. We're going to be talking about all of the characters of the Star Wars Underworld, the places, the technology, the just timeline, and everything else there on Saturday, April 8th, 6 p.m., British time over there on the fan stage. So as you see here, if you're in the area, if you're going to be at Star Wars Celebration, that's exactly where we're going to be on the fan stage. Apparently it's going to seat up to 600 people. So there you go. Tell other people I want to pack that thing. I want to have a packed house, 600 people on the stage. This should be very interesting to say the least because uh, it's my first time moderating. So hopefully these 101 episodes of this podcast have prepared me at least to a certain level of what I might be going through, but it's going to be a fun time. Oh yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited for you. It's awesome that you're going to like get to do that. And it'll be a nice time, like interacting with um, whoever's there. And then of course, you know, your other, other panelists, it, it'll, it'll be a really good time. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, you know, I know a lot of, a lot of people that I were going to go there, they kind of dipped out. I don't blame them, you know, London, especially for the U.S., uh, the pound is definitely a little bit more expensive. Things are more expensive over there for us. So it's not a trip to take lightly. I might be a, a bit irresponsible for going on this trip because I, I have a budget, but, you know, I'm also going to not scrounge too much if I can't help it because it's just vacation. So I will be there from Friday through monday the entire convention so if you see me around i might have a sticker or a pin to throw your way so go say hi and uh we'll have a good time there in london all right getting into the big story we got a little bit of a scandal going on it's like every couple days we get a new update from jeff snyder uh an inside source he has inside sources all over the place telling him what's going on at lucasfilm considering or specifically the movies and we had learned a while ago uh, it seems like a while ago, but it's all been pretty recent. But with the amount of news coming out, it's just like, okay, that was already like two weeks ago or whatever. But Damon Lindelof was supposedly writing or was writing this upcoming Star Wars movie that's going to be announced at Celebration with another co-writer of his. They handed in their script in February and then they walked. Then there was, they just walked. Apparently, the director that was hired by Kathleen Kennedy... Um, she did, she hired this director without telling Lindelof and this other guy and Lindelof is a higher up there. As far as the writer hierarchy, he's been around, he's been, he's not some guy writing on some cable TV show. This guy's been around the block. So I think there's been a lot of scruffles going about that, you know, maybe Kathleen Kennedy wasn't completely transparent with him. And I think in doing so, he just kind of said, screw this and went off on his own. Um, I'm speculating here. None of this is confirmed, but this is kind of what Jeff Snyder was talking about on the hot mic, uh, podcast with John Rook on the, uh, that came out a couple days ago. So you could check that out. Um, and then there's already another writer that's on board. Uh, this guy from, uh, the UK, Steve Knight, 
Um, so there's and and he had done a lot of work with Peaky Blinders. So people yeah. are thinking this show might be a little bit more Andor like, or at least Justin said it could be a little bit more Andor like with the content that this guy has written for, a little bit more mature different things like that so there's a lot going on jeff snyder also broke the news that we're not going to get one thing announced we're not going to two things announced we're going to get three things announced like a celebration and i said this on twitter man i said look there's no way in heck they don't announce a star wars movie at celebration especially because they don't have another good opportunity to do that this is a star wars fan panel you're not you know yeah you can announce that d23 you can announce that comic-con in san diego for all i care but when you have this many uber Star Wars fans from across the world, and you're not going to have one in 2024, this is your shot. They got to do it now. And with Bob Iger in the chair, this guy's all about the movies. You know, whatever Bob Chapek was really trying to champion Disney Plus, we've seen what's been going on with Marvel. It's kind of been a little bit of a burnout for a lot of visual effects artists. And it just seems like not everybody thinks that the Marvel stuff is as consequential as they made it up to be because it's too hard to keep up with like 17 things in two years. I'm not even exaggerating. It's literally been like 17 things in two years you had to watch. So I think Bob Iger said, look, you got to really put out a movie in 2025. And there's even been a report saying if she doesn't deliver by 2025, she's out. Like, And as much as Star Wars has been great with Mandalorian, with Andor, with Obi-Wan, everything has been doing great for their, for their views and everything like that, viewer counts. Star Wars has been movies, and it's been obvious now. Uh, I think that, you know, since there hasn't been movies, it's not been as hyped as it was, let's say, from 2015 to 2019 when the movies were constantly coming out. So, yeah, this is a little bit of a dire strait for Star Wars. I'm happy to hear that they have three movies. I hope at least one of them goes through. <laughs> you know, at least that improves our chances. There, There's there's not one, there's not two, there's there's three possible. So at least if two of them don't make it, we should at least get one of those movies in the next two years. But anyway, there's a lot of uh, updates on all of this material. I know, Ben, you've been following a lot of this. What are your thoughts? Man, another day, another Star Wars um, dramatic, dramatic story. There's always something going on. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot of things to address here. So... For starters, yeah, I think uh, so. So I think you know we've seen like kind of like a pattern of like different creatives not not working the best with Lucasfilm, whether it be Kathy, whether it be the other people in the story group, whether it be whoever um, that's higher up there. You know, we've seen other creatives leave, so it's not like this is like a major shocking event to happen. Um, it's good though that this happened back in you know it sounds like early february so it's happened you know close to six weeks ago probably so basically um stephen knight's been working on the movie on writing the movie since so that's a big a big positive right there interesting thing though i saw that got pointed out today by um by bespin bulletin a lot of our people may know um bespin pointed out you know the thing is, Stephen Knight is also right now working on a uh, a Vertigo and Alfred Hitchcock remake, and potentially with Robert Downey Jr. casted in it. And and Bespin was kind of speculating he wouldn't be surprised if you know by the time we get to celebration, it's not Stephen Knight isn't the final writer on the film. So that's something to keep in mind. He might be just the writer 
picking up the ball, carrying it forward in the short term right now. So that's something just to throw out there as a possibility. So like, you know, we're not in shock and all in a few weeks if they make a different announcement. Um, so that's a possibility. And then, uh, and then, yeah. And then the fact that we have potential, uh, potentially three movies coming into play, that's going to be very nice just because I've said it since day one. Okay. Mandalorian's awesome. All of these star Wars shows are awesome. Even the ones that um, I've critiqued, it's great having Star Wars on TV. But to me, Star Wars is a theater thing. Like, it needs to be in the movie theater. Like, to me, there's no reason it shouldn't have been in the theaters in the past six years. So, um, or five, or four years, it'll be six years by the time the movie comes out in 2025. So, like, that's something to keep in mind. Um, And yeah, I just think it's an interesting situation they're in. I think at least... Things are looking to be going kind of toward the upside of things versus like it looks like they're finally getting their chickens in a row, basically. Like, Mm -hmm. of course, we all have our doubts because, you know, we've been burnt a million times by this franchise with movie announcements and movie things and whatnot. So like that is something we've all dealt with, but it feels like this is different. Um, And then just also to throw out there for anybody that like doesn't know, you know, Jeff Snyder, like you mentioned, he's he's a long time like insider from collider and you know and just like the hollywood trades and everything and the good thing is with him he doesn't have like any type of agenda you know because he he doesn't like star wars so he's just reporting the news like straight up news what he hears so like it's nice we're getting just like unbiased reporting from him that's not just like you know some star wars reporter who's like really into like you know has a has a dog in the fight basically so it's cool that's happening or that he reported that and I feel like we're going to keep getting more and more Star Wars scoops, you know? So that's that's kind of like my opening thoughts on all of that. Yeah, so you're right. I think this could be the intro. I like the idea of going to Celebration and having like a a small kind of like slate of things. I know, Ben, you've yeah. been wanting that for a while. And I could see like, all right, like have a nice big picture. Like Ken- Kathleen Kennedy's on the stage. We're here to talk about movies nice like space starscape background and then one at a time they go 2025 this is the title of this movie 2027 this other movie 2029 this other movie and and then these are all going to combine these are all going to tie into one another they're not a trilogy one film leads into another and then beyond that we'll see what happens i don't know but like it'd be cool to just get like three like star wars titles i don't think that's going to be episode 10 11 12 but the standalone well, movies, I think that'd be a cool thing to do. Well, by the sounds of it, by the way, um, kind of the way Jeff was alluding to, and then um, Bespin on and some of his stuff, like, you know, it sounds like kind of the direction they're going with this first initial movie. You know, it's going to be set however it's set, but it's going to be kind of open. It, you know, obviously it's going to be a movie, but it's going to be kind of open-ended you know, like, think of it as, like, kind of like the early MCU where, you know, you can watch the early MCU yeah. movies in standalone, but you can continue watching them. Like, so basically, the next two movies after the first one could continue off the first one if it's, like, pretty successful, basically, is how I'm understanding it anyways. Like, it's kind of open-ended. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dark Nerdy Gonzo is chiming in. Everybody, you could do that as well. Stephen Knight, besides working on Peaky Blinders, wrote the scripts for films Eastern Promises and Serenity. Strong chances yep. if he fully wrote whichever 
uh, star flick it will be, uh, it'll be a total mind screw in a good way. So there you go. Well, I don't really have much experience with this guy. Yeah. Well, well, the thing is too to keep in mind. Um, it's from my understanding, like reading all the stuff from like Jeff and from the other um, other reports that are out there from Deadline, Bestman, whoever it may be. It sounds like a lot of the story for this movie, you know, for like from the director to the writers to everybody involved. It sounds like the the movie had a concept. So like whatever the concept, whatever the story was like. So, you know, kind of your like one note, one page notebook page um, concept of the movie. And then that's where they're bringing in the writers to fill out the concept. Basically, you know, you, you know, like fill out the meat, it, the meat yep. on the bones of yep. the uh, the overall concept. So, mm -hmm. so that's kind of something to keep in mind as well. So we might be getting like a flavor of like a little bit of Lindelof still maybe in there, and then obviously Stephen Knight, and then the, the original director probably has some um, obviously some pull on the movie as well. So it's gonna be, it's probably gonna be kind of a mix of those directors. It. it I don't believe, from my understanding of it, that it's going to be just like strictly a Stephen Knight thing. It's more this movie's more of a um, what's the word? Like a collaboration, yes. basically. It's yes. more of like a it's more of a collaborative effort than just like because they're not they didn't you know they're like Stephen Knight isn't um, you know they're not scrapping they didn't scrap the entire Lindelof thing. Like Lindelof had like the concepts and stuff mm -hmm, and like whatever mm -hmm. he turned in, they they potentially, you know, didn't like obviously since they separated. But Stephen Knights picked up the concept of whatever they were working on and he's like adapting it to his style, basically. Yeah, like uh, a good comparison is Rogue One with Gary. Rogue Whittem. One, that's a perfect example. He did like the concept of the core yep. story things like that. He wrote in certain scenes, like when Jin is running with the plans and the walkers there from the trailer, obviously I didn't yep. use that scene, but like he just did the overall scope. So, Hey, what's not to say that that's what Lindelof did, or that's what maybe Steven Knight is doing. And then whoever we find out that is definitely directing a movie, maybe they'll add their flair, but I, I think it works out really well. And in, in most cases, I mean, Say what you will about Rise of Skywalker, but something else is going on there where it's like, okay, Colin Trevorrow had this entire script degree online, and then they completely flipped that one around, and it was J.J. Abrams, and that was a whole nother deal because J.J. Abrams already had made one of the movies and wasn't expected to come back as the other one, so that was a little bit of an outlier, but I like to think that especially going into this new era of Star Wars, whatever it could be, it's a good idea for them to really think hard about this and and... I mean, listen to some of the fans, you know, and, and be like, okay, like this is what have a closer ear what the fans want, but also to what makes sense in the story and to push it a little yeah. bit further along than just something safe. I don't think you can get by with something safe anymore because they tried to do that with the sequel trilogy. Then they tried to not do that. Then they tried to do that again with the rise of Skywalker and it just became a mess. So at this point, whoever's involved with star wars whoever the, the fans out there that are liking star wars like, okay cool you got you got a lot of these people back you gave it to a new generation let's let's push the storytelling like rogue one you know something like that yep. where it's going to be a little bit edgier a little bit more outside of the box yeah i think i think as well um i think it's like a 99 i don't I don't think there's any way we don't we don't get a movie announcement a celebration just because like you know we've heard all these different things from from like Jeff and Bespin and all these different people like about the movies. I don't think they 
you know, like we talked about, you can't go to Celebration and then have next year off and not announce a movie. You have to announce a movie this year. Like, you have to. Um, and then I know some, from some of the other Star Wars, like, um, insiders and stuff out there, like, they heard, it's pretty much like, you know, they heard, like, it's hell or high water. Like, the the movie has to be produced by 2025. Like, no questions asked. So, I think we're for sure going to get at least one. Um, and then... The other two, it's going to be interesting to see. So, um, you know, I feel like they're going to have to put the movies kind of in roughly the same era just to make sense or just to uh, just to uh, do that idea of like potentially bouncing off the success of the first one. So, um, yeah, it's going to be really it's going to be really cool just seeing how they end up doing all of this and then mm-hmm. also how they end up announcing things because are they going to be super cagey about it and not, not like announce certain aspects? Like, because, you know, is it going to be like, oh yeah, guys, we have a surprise Star Wars movie coming in 2025. Like be super vague and not even give us a title, not even give us anything whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Or is it going to actually be a title actually be, you know, a, at least a concept, just something for the fans to talk about. That's what I'm very interested to see. Oh man, yeah, they they gotta give us a little blurb. Uh, okay, this is this is this title. All right, just give us a quick blurb. Like, I think they did a great job in the lead up to the Force Awakens with the promotion, where they're like, "This is Ray. She's a scavenger on the planet of Jakku. That was, you know, an imperial wasteland of ships from this battle." Like, they don't have to go crazy. I, obviously, they haven't shot anything. Hell, I mean, maybe they have some concept art they could even show us. Okay, this is our vision. This is what our theme, our feel of the movie will be. Say a couple lines, and then we're following that up in 2077 with this movie. You know, so, you know, I don't want to speculate too much more on this because, like, literally, this is happening in, like, two weeks, so... Well, yeah, we're... we're, I mean, we're two weeks away. We still have quite a while, um, quite a while to go until they start filming even for it because you know filming won't even be until next probably a year from now probably like next february march um for it most likely so we got at least a year until it starts filming even like Mm -hmm. you said maybe they'll just show some general concept art or something Mm -hmm. um something generic like that uh just to kind of like tide the fans over in the meantime Mm -hmm. just so they're not like left to their own speculations and stuff yeah yeah so next up we're going to go from movies to other motion type of things that happen on the screen. We're going to talk about video games. We got a Jedi Survivor official story trailer. So this is kind of like the trailer you would expect at Celebration. Uh, you know, just giving us not a whole lot of gameplay, a lot of cutscenes, Big reveals in here. And I was kind of delusional when I seen it. But after looking at it on a bigger screen... Looking at Twitter, seeing a lot of other people saying exactly what it was. I'm pretty sure we're going to Coruscant in this game. And that is the last place I expected this game to take me. Because there's several shots here of this black hole in the middle of this concrete jungle, if you will. And I'm guessing that's where people go for like level 1313 and things like that. And there's the LAAT modified as we've seen in the later episodes of the clone wars hunting ahsoka so we know that's been there as i look closer you could see the sky lane of traffic the only reason why i didn't think this was coruscant because at least to me the buildings look like too much like they're um sharper edges um oh my gosh i, I don't 
failing on words tonight, apparently. But the structures of the buildings look like they're too pointy. Like, they're not round. They're not squared off. So I'm like, is this Coruscant? Um, it looks a little bit different to me, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Ben, you've seen this trailer. You're pretty convinced it's Coruscant. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it. it's probably Coruscant. It might just be the the actual just the game design or yeah. something, you know? Um, I feel like it might end up being just that. Um, but, but yeah, after you pointed that out to me, I went and looked at it again, and it's like, yeah, that looks like Coruscant on that trailer. So maybe they're going there. Um, also, I was thinking as well, I meant to send it to you in our group chat, but I was going to ask you, is there anything that could indicate, could this be one of potentially because you know you know a lot of these projects like to you know it's kind of like building up to the sequels and everything is there any chance that any of these or like that place could that be one of the planets in like the hosnian prime system potentially oh yeah that could be interesting mm -hmm. i mean i'm looking at the planet there's another image of the stinger mantis going into the atmosphere and there's those concentric shapes those circle type of shapes that most of us will see and be like, oh yeah, like we always see those ringed lights on on Coruscant's surface from space. Yeah, it's it's probably likely Coruscant, I would guess. <laughs> Which begs a question. It's like, and it's interesting because this ties into Bad Batch, right? It's like you have the clones having their little rebellion type meeting on Coruscant in the heart of. The Empire, and we see that in Andor too, right? With Mon Mothma and Luthan Rail, like all these rebel operations are literally under the nose of the Imperials. Then again, we learn in Mandalorian, there's like uh, uh, one trillion people on this planet, so there's no way they could find you. But at least when you're close enough to the planet, you can maybe find out what what the enemies are doing because you're right there, and you can maybe tap into their surveillance and figure out where the troop movements are. Or maybe they're trying to figure out where the other Jedi are, and they're trying to. I don't know, get information that way. But I I was one of my biggest requests for this sequel. And so far, it looks like they've answered every quest I have, which is funny because I never like literally typed it out to respawn. I was just thinking this stuff out loud all the time. But apparently I wasn't the only one thinking of it. They had they needed to have some kind of urban cityscape to like fight in. And obviously in this trailer, we're seeing the return of the the Inquisitor troopers there, the Purge troopers. And it's definitely looking like he's fighting on Coruscant with his single lightsaber. So that's pretty cool. I, I'm I'm very curious to see how they fill out these cityscapes. Are there going to be, you know, NPC characters just like kind of walking around and you're just in plain sight? Like how big is this area? What part of Coruscant are you in? Are you going to be in the lower levels? Maybe you'll see like a Boba Fett cameo, which would be freaking awesome. 1313 tie-in maybe i don't know but yeah i I'm, I'm just excited to see the change of an environment but there's a lot of other things in here as well we got the confirmation and i mean this was definitely confirmed because it was on starwars.com that this bad guy in the game is actually from the high republic so for me i am super jazzed by that because just the dialogue alone gets me excited how he's like you know oh the Empire, like you, 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 you're a Jedi and you let the Empire come into this. Like, what the heck? Like, how did you guys fail this bad to end up having a gigantic Empire just take over the galaxy and give 
get people's freedom away from them, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, like, the thing is, as well, it's just, it's it's definitely, like, interesting, you know, seeing it from that angle. And then, like, my thing, I think, too, I don't know, there's just so much to take away from this trailer, honestly. And then, you know, it really got me thinking, like you said, they confirmed that that character was from the High Republic. So, like I was kind of speculating um, months ago, was, do you think Survivor means... Like, is Survivor that character and not Cal? Like, that's what I wonder. Oh, you know what I'm saying? Because Survivor, because we we just assume it's Cal. But my thing is, could it be that that character? Um, you know, could it be him? It could be a double meeting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it could be a double meeting. They could like, I like what Star Wars is doing lately because they did that. With the last episode of The Mandalorian, the convert, like yep. obviously, like Pershing converted one. to the Republic, and then Bo-Katan converted to the Children of the Watch. So there's there's yep. been a lot of that going on in Star Wars. I would love to see that. I just yeah. like the philo philosophical discussion going on in this game, and I have the exact line pulled up as I'm watching the trailer again. Of course, how could you let the galaxy fall to this unworthy machine of an empire? As he throws the helmet of a stormtrooper in disdain at the feet of calcasus it's like oh my gosh this is beautiful this is beautiful and then and you realize like the jedi during the high republic 20 years prior to uh, you know the galaxy with the empire it's like they weren't perfect either and they had this battle with the nile and some of the jedi wanted to go out in full force and kill the nile and like strike teams but then it's like wait that's not us we're the jedi so it's like you know, the Empire could exist during the High Republic with the Jedi then also have fallen. I think so. It's just the way how things were meant to be. But, I mean, I'm curious about this character. I certainly haven't seen him before. It'd be cool. Maybe he'll be, like, introduced in Phase 3 of the High Republic after we have played through the game. We'll know, like, okay, where he is. We know the High Republic is a large era. It doesn't just deal with the books we've been reading, which only take place, like, over probably a three or four. Uh, three or four year period for the most part with phase one and phase three but it spans like from 500 years prior to uh the battle of yavin up to 100 years prior to that so it's like it's a good like three to four hundred year gap so i mean and then the acolyte is also going to deal in that maybe we'll see this guy in the acolyte you know maybe they're gonna i would like to see it certainly would like to see some synergy now that we got this guy confirmed in this era all things are leading to this era, whether it be a live action series, whether it be the books. Now, in this case, we have this video game. We're also going to have Star Wars Eclipse, which we'll hear more about hopefully in two weeks at Celebration. So there's a lot of different things that are really going full-fledged in this, in this. But it's really cool from, again, a philosoph philosophical standpoint of what an empire stands for at what era of the galaxy and why the Jedi, which are keepers of the peace, could let something like this happen. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, well, the thing is too, with that, like you mentioned, um, a lot of good points there. Really, it's just cr it's just great uh, seeing like the direction they're going, like how they're you know, you know, it's all leading up to this, and then the potential connection, like you said, um, with the higher public character, whether it's in a, in the ac acolyte or it's in one of the other prior things, that would be that'll be really cool to see like their backstory, um, and then. Also, like for me, I think the um 
like one of the coolest parts about this game, you know, it just feels it feels like Star Wars. Like it's not one of those like games where it's like, is this really Star? Yeah. Is this a game like with Star Wars slapped on it? Just because uh, it's like I know when what you're when talking when about. You, you know what I'm saying? Because like like when you see the trailer, <laughs> what, what do you say? I said Battlefront. Like 2015, yeah. there's just yeah, I battle, battle Battlefront 2015 yeah, with that, a Battlefront skin. <laughs> yep, that's exactly what I'm referencing. Um, but you know, you have stuff like that, and then when you go and watch um, like the trailers for this, it's like this is Star Wars. I mean, the other night, I mean, you know, we're getting close to this game when you know I'm just chilling and it's like 11 30, 12 o'clock at night, and like the the trailer for this game just randomly comes on TV. So it's like. It's great getting to see like they're amping up the marketing for this, um, and it instantly catches your eye too or mm-hmm. your ear. Like if you're not looking at the screen, like you instantly like look up at the TV and it's like whoa, like that's Star Wars. So it's just it's great getting to see, um, you know, just see how it all how how yeah. it's all just out. Like we're so close to it coming out. Yeah. Did I did I tell you guys I ran into that advertisement in Brooklyn, New York? Oh yeah, yep. You mentioned that to us. Okay, yeah, yeah. That was that was really funny. That was that was awesome. But yeah, I like that this game is going to get its time to shine. I mean, obviously, it's going to get a big push of celebration. I'm holding on hope. I'm holding on hope. I mean, come on, the game will be out like two weeks later. Like, have a playable demo. Come on, give it to me. I will get my camera and film that and put something on YouTube as soon as I could. Um, although I don't know how good the internet's going to be over there, especially overseas. Who knows? But. I mean, between that, between having Mandalorian finish entirely, having the conversation start to simmer with Mandalorian after like two weeks of being over, and then just like right into the conversation with Jedi Survivor, I told you, Ben, I know that the the, the um, High Republic uh, kids show is coming out like the day later. I'm like, sorry, kids show. I'm going to be not caring until I finish this game because I'm literally not going to go on the internet or at least not go on Twitter or social media until I finish the game. So even if it takes me 20, 30 hours and you don't see me active on there, it's because I haven't finished the game yet. And I keep seeing this stuff every week, people getting mad about spoilers. It's like, guys, you just got to realize you just can't go on on the internet. Like, you guys weren't born yesterday. I hate to say it, but we've been through yeah, this for the last three or four years, really since the, the Force Awakens in 2015. Yeah. So you guys got to do your blackouts if you're that spoiler phobic you should have known to not go on the internet no you can't trust your friends i hate to say it because they'll put it out there i might be partly responsible for my youtube videos but at least i don't put them on twitter at least i can say that well well, that's the thing too with with uh you know people always have to remember that with the spoiler spoilers whether it be this game or mando or whatever if you don't want to be spoiled just stay off the internet because you know, most likely all of the accounts, you know, that you're following are in your niche of things you like, you know, like Star Wars, superhero sports, whatever. And if you don't want to be spoiled by that, well, it's highly likely like me being, you know, me following 100 Star Wars accounts, it's highly likely someone's going to post a spoiler on Twitter. You know, it's highly likely. Or, you know, the be- the best, the really greatest Twitter spoilers aren't even from people posting. It's from Twitter's algorithm. It'll say... You know, um, yeah. So like, so like when Mando season two ended with Luke, obviously Luke was a huge spoiler. And the the number one trending topic on Twitter, like when you just look at the trending topics, the number one trending topic, it was it was Luke. It was literally Luke Skywalker 
And then below it was Mandalorian season two finale. And it was the picture of Luke from the finale on the Twitter um, headline thing. So like yeah. Twitter literally spoiled it through its algorithm. So, you know, you just can't trust anything. So it's just like, you got to stay off the internet till you consume the, consume the, th- consume the um, piece of media or, you know, you're just going in at your own risk. I mean, I had, I had the, uh, the Darth Maul solo thing spoiled for me from just a random comment on a sports page. Like somebody commented underneath the sports yep. page and was like, and was like, ha 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 for any star Wars fans, Darth Maul's in at the end of solo. And I'm like, what? It's like, okay. <laughs> I'm going to answer a question here in the chat. We have Peter Griffin asking, do you want to see Cal in live action or just keep his story pliable? I've been a long, I've been a very strong proponent of just tell a story in the game. I am this attached to this character. Yeah, okay. It doesn't help. I'm a little bit biased. I cosplay. I'm all right. I'll be cosplaying in Celebration in London if you see me say hi to me and BD. But I think it's always worth saying if a character first appeared in something, try to push as much as that story first in that medium, then branch out. It's one thing if we like get the third game because it looks strongly like they basically said if it does good enough, it'll get a third game. How is this game not going to do good? How is this game not going to do good? There's no other games coming out around it. In fact, other games have moved out of the way early just so they have a little bit of a chance to make a little bit of money because once this game comes out, it's going to do close to Hogwarts Legacy numbers or, I mean, that game's an avalanche. I don't know if it'll catch up to that, but it's going to do good regardless. Let's say um, Jedi Survivor 3 takes place well into like that in between Return of the Jedi and um, Force Awakens era. Okay, they can go back in time and, and bring him to like Andor season two. Because at that point, we already like know that he survived and whatnot after that. But I would not yeah. want to see a story with him like after the events of what would happen in three. Because I would just take away my like the, the, the intensity of it all. Like, oh, yeah, he's clearly going to live. So what's the what's the intensity here? Uh, what's the suspense? Yeah. There isn't any anymore. So yeah, that, that's always that's the way. Part. Yeah. Like for me, I think uh, basically you wrap up the video game stuff first. However many games you want to make, three, four, whatever. Um, you know, do your. I w- I would say nail all the video game stuff, and then you can figure out exactly where you want to put him. And the perfect thing too right now with, with um, this franchise is Cameron Monaghan's like the perfect age. Like he'll be able to play Cal aged up or aged down a little bit because he looks really young, you know? So um, so he's the perfect age. Like me just like being like the greedy fan I am, I would love to see him in live action because, you know, I, st- I, I started loving that, ca- that actor back in the day when he was the Joker on Gotham. So like I've been following him since like probably 2013. So it's just cool seeing him being like a really big star wars character i would love to see him play it on uh i don't know the big screen or even the disney plus screen i mean heck even if we would get like a like a six episode exclusive series um about him like i don't know just doing something it'd be interesting to to see it played out but yeah like you said you gotta you gotta get the video game stuff taken care of first or move the game so far ahead that you can just put in something in between Hell yeah. Hell yeah. So that's not all with the games. That's not all on the games front. We have an update, which is officially from the page of Respawn. There we go. Another Respawn game. I mean, they don't do any wrong. That studio is on a roll. 
they have updated their FPS. Remember, they're working on a single-player FPS. And I'll read exactly straight from the source. This one is okay. I'm reading it continuously here. Okay, here we go. Um, they're, they're, they have like a job prospect, uh, th uh, something on LinkedIn out there. It says, um, offering prospective hires and insight into the Star Wars FPS. Okay, and quote, unquote. Inspired by classic titles like Dark Forces and Jedi Knight Dark Forces 2, our story-driven single-player game is being developed from the ground up, leveraging the power of Unreal Engine 5. Like, there's two big things I want to talk about there. The first is the first area there of Dark Forces and Jedi Knight Dark, uh, Jedi Knight Dark Forces 2. So, these are classic games. I've played through Dark Forces so many times, I still haven't beaten a game, but I go back to this game every once in a while because I do have it on Steam, along with Jedi Knight Dark Forces 2. These are the Kyle Katarn franchise, right? This is that. This is where that guy comes from after the events of Return of the Jedi. There's stuff with Boba Fett and different things in there. And it's like the first level of the game. You steal the plans for the first Death Star. And it's cool. This is like going back to the day of the LucasArts games. And just having cool stories to tell back in those days that weren't just complete adaptations of the movies. These were telling their own stories in a way that made them unique because they were in a medium that was new at the time where it was like this 3D type of storytelling that the players could be a part of. And it was very much akin to like Doom, right? So you had like those kind of flashy colors, a little puzzle solving, a little Metroidvania action where you get a car key, a key card, you have to go back to the beginning level, unlock a different door, yada, yada, yada. Um, and then these games eventually became one of my favorite games. In the third game, you had Jedi Knight 2, Jedi Outcast. Classic game. You're, you're going all over the galaxy. You meet Luke Skywalker. The first half, not even the first half, like the first two or three levels, it's an FPS. You're using, you know, just ranged weapons, blasters and whatnot. And then the game, you find Luke Skywalker at the Jedi Academy on Yavin Base. And next thing you know, it's a third-person action-adventure where you're wielding a lightsaber going after uh, Sith cultist people on, on Bespin and Cloud City. Like, that game just was awesome. That's where I first see a Dark Trooper, and my obsession with the Dark Trooper began from that game going forward. So I was so excited seeing them in the Season 2 Mandalorian finale because I instantly thought of Jedi Outcast because of that. So I'm just happy, Ben, that we get a chance to you know, pay homage to the games. And I know you've been a strong proponent for, let's just bring back LucasArts. And well, the good thing is a lot of these developers respect what have come before and they are basically doing that. You know, they're not called LucasArts, but I like the idea that Lucasfilm Games has given the keys to the kingdom for certain developers that they think will match the tone of the stories they want to tell. Yep. Yeah, I'm, I really liken... How they're doing things with that <clears throat> excuse me um yeah i'm really liking how they're doing things um with the gaming gaming side of things like you said they're paying homage to the older games whether it be the these jedi knight games or any of the other games really i mean heck look at look at um in star wars lego um that came out you know, there there are cases you can find where that had the original, like the original Star Wars Lego games on it from like 2002, 2003, 4, 5, whatever. Like, you know, there was the original Lego games like, you know, so 
I like that these new games, whether it be the Lego games or this game, you know, they're harkening back to the old, like, LucasArts era games. Like, it's just such a nice, refreshing take on things. You know, because it felt like we were in an era of Star Wars a little bit there where Star Wars was like, hey, we got to be like so different from everything like originally, like in the in the old era of Star Wars. And they were trying to be like too different. And now it's like they're embracing it and adapting it to whatever story, like you said, whatever story they're telling that's fitting, like the story and the characters and everything. So it's just cool seeing um, seeing that play out. And, you know, like you said, the first time I saw the dark troopers and mando it harkened back to that game and then star wars battlefront one that those are my those are my two things and you know those it it harkens back to those both of those old games because it's just like it's it's just you know that shows how important gaming was back then like in that era that lucas arts era that like just seeing instantly seeing a, a a dark trooper you instantly think of a video game you don't even think of a movie or a comic book or or a figure or a you know whatever like you instantly think of a video game you know that shows you how impactful those games were back in the day that it's like oh my gosh we're referencing a imperial basically stormtrooper yep from 20 years ago yep now so it's just it's it's cool seeing how they're paying homage like that yeah and the other big thing I want to point out here is the fact that they're using Unreal Engine 5. Now, Unreal Engine oh, yeah. 5 is huge. I was just listening to a, a video, the um, Next next Gen Console Watch on IGN. It's like a weekly show where they talk about just the very thing, the very much thing, the cutting edge of the games, the technology. And their topic today, surprisingly, was like, oh, like what's going on with Unreal Engine 5? Like that's the next big engine. Like everything is currently on Unreal Engine 4. For instance, Jedi Survivor did not make the leap to Unreal Engine 5. They're using Unreal Engine 4. And they actually are having, I think it's the GDC week this week or something. It's a game developer conference in San Francisco where like the people from Epic Games, which are the creators of the Unreal Engine, were like doing a tech demo of, what the capability of that is with the facial animations and everything. It's basically like the uncanny valley is now over basically with games. Um, But that's a tech demo. So it's going to take obviously a long time for the game developers to be able to harness the full capability and power of the next gen Xboxes and the new GPUs and and the PS5 architecture to be able to use that. But right now there's not that many games even in the future that we know of that are going to be even using Unreal Engine 5. Right now the only game that I play is Fortnite. And that looks really good. I love the Unreal Engine 5. You can tell just everything is so crisp and the flow of it is just so good. Other than that, there's going to be the Hellblade 2 Sinewood Saga game on the Xbox Series X and S is going to be Unreal Engine 5. There's only a handful. Stalker 2, I think, is going to be that way. So it's nice to see that Star Wars is going to get an Unreal Engine 5 game. In fact, that's going to be an FPS in the vein of Dark Forces and all. It just gets me really excited because... Lucasfilm or Lucasfilm games or LucasArts were always on the forefront of technology of the games too because I remember reading game magazines when I was a thing back in the early 2000s with the the Force Unleashed. I remember them talking about, oh yeah, we were utilizing this technology for this special plant physics that's never been done before when you're using the Force, just the way the, the plants wave in the wind when you're using a force push and all like I remember just the nitty-gritty details they were going through. And at that time it was like, holy crap, like 
LucasArts is really pushing the boundaries with the game. So I'm, I'm excited to see them. You know, just a simple little byline in a statement is enough to get me ex even more excited for this game. Oh, yeah. Well, that was one of my, um, you know, when it comes to that game specifically, um, the Force Unleashed was so cool. Like, I, I played I played through that game multiple times just because it's so much fun checking out all of the different environments, you know, you can just mess with. Like, notably, heck, even the very first episode, first level of the game, you know, you're Vader on Kashyyyk, and just going through, and you can just literally pick up trees, throw trees to the side, you know, slice through, and you can see the trees getting cut in half, like, all these, like, little details, and, and you know, that game was made over 10 years ago, so it's just, it's cool seeing how we, how we went from that to, like, how great games look now. Mm-hmm. Oh, hell yeah, hell yeah, so... Stay in the loop for the latest on the Star Wars news. We'll keep you guys covered. And we're going to get into it. We got two episodes to talk about tonight. Bad Batch and Mando. So getting into Bad Batch. Bad Batch returns to full force form here. And I don't know what I mean by that exactly. But we have the Bad Batch Season 2, Episode 14, Tipping Point. This is as good as it gets if you ask me as far as a way to tell a story just going into the mindset of crosshair that awesome attempt to escape then we get the recognition of clones like gregor we get the the freeing of a character hauser who's back from season one we get to catch up on the planet of pabu seeing how omega is flying the ship i'm sure that's going to come into practice in probably season three and just the reaction of the clones figuring out what exactly the intel that was retrieved um, from, from that ship was. So there's a lot of intrigue in this episode. It felt like a step up from a lot of the other episodes because there's a lot more suspense. There's a lot more tension. They mentioned Balmora in canon for the first time. Real deep cup for the old Republic players like myself that have been playing that game for 10 years. So awesome. Uh, it wasn't just mentioned, it was seen. But that's just a real tiny detail. But anyway, I really like this episode. I uh, can't wait to dive into it. What did you think about this one, Ben? Yeah, I thought it was one of the better ones of this season so far. I mean, I think I think there were so many aspects of it. Like you said, the the tension the uh the different like character modes between all the characters really um of course the vi as we say every week like even the episodes we that we're not big fans of like the visuals and the uh, and the uh the audios like you know the different um sound effects like that stuff is always on point so like it's great like seeing that like continue and like look like i feel like it almost like looks better almost as the show goes on like for certain scenes and sequences like that's always nice um and then yeah, just seeing some of the stakes really for like Crosshair, for example, like like uh, you know him dealing with that stuff with the Doctor, like it was a nice, um, it was a nice good blend of an episode between dealing with like Crosshair and then Omega and the group. Like I really really enjoyed this episode. Um, honestly, like there wasn't there wasn't much about it I didn't like. Yeah. So that's always a good thing, like mm -hmm. because with Bad Batch, it's like. You like five minutes of it, and then the other twenty minutes is like, okay, what's going on here? So, it's really nice that we're getting episodes that we can enjoy. Because you know, I could just go and turn that episode on right now and just let it play like just fine, where it's not a hindrance to watch. For example, yeah, I liked how much 
this was a globe trotting episode and you know we get the stuff on Balmora with the troops leaving we get that little cool space sequence i love first of all i love that ship i love the fact that we're getting new ships introduced in star wars still to this day i mean that's kind of a ridiculous thing to say but i feel like sometimes in animation they kind of use the same ship designs over and over and they even translate to rebels too it's like oh my gosh like there, how many times have they used that speeder that looks like it's something from Star Tours before? Like that's like yeah. the same design where they don't have any ideas. It's like let's just throw that thing in there. The fact that this was a type of infiltration on that Gazanti class cruiser, I'm pretty sure that they infiltrated on, that was something I've never seen before. Where it's like okay, the tactics were like there was like a little modular part of the ship that released and it's able to cut in, and then they're able to get the the regular like the majority of that ship to go underneath create a diversion throwing grenades like it was a really thrilling sequence that was really cool and it was a nice like little strike team antics of all right we're going in we know exactly what we got to do and they freed gregor and gregor's or gregor was already there and that was another i want i meant to go back but gregor was freed in a prior episode in season one right because it was he was he on tanta was he on Mount Tantus with the hounds because they mentioned the hounds in this episode like oh you won't get you won't get away with the hounds but then I remember there was the hounds with him running away in a forest no he didn't um we weren't on I we didn't go to Mount Tantus in season one I don't think until the very last episode so I I don't remember where he was at though um it was that one it was the forest episode with Scorch though he was on oh because remember that was the one with Scorch where we were all like, is it Scorch? Is it not Scorch? It was like the, it was probably like the the tenth, eleventh, twelfth episode somewhere in that region. That's it was right. like three quarters. It was like three quarters of the way through. It was a, uh, it was that one though uh, where you were dealing with, you know, we were deciding if it was Scorch or not. It was that episode where it was him with the hounds and all that. That's right. Okay. Yeah. But I, I loved getting our first full glimpse of the clones going on a mission specifically to rescue more of them. I thought that was brilliant. And that's the stuff I've been wanting to see earlier in the season. I think as we look back at season two, we're going to realize, at least I, I realize, like, yeah, the episodes, they could have been structured in a format that would have worked. We were talking about this off the air about, hey, you know, maybe they could have had a certain episode here to break things up a little bit for the pace of the overall season. And it's like episodes like this where I'm like, oh, man, I wish we had more episodes like this, like spread evenly throughout the season, because obviously it's the penultimate, the second to last episode. And there's so much good in here. And you really feel like, OK, the conclusion of the season is really coming soon because there's so much like build up that is boil getting to that boiling point at this point. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, well, that's the that's the thing, too, with with this um like you said i wish we would have had don't get me wrong some people may enjoy some of the more like fluffy episodes that we didn't enjoy but i wish we would have had more of these type of episodes because honestly if we would have had these type of episodes like more spread out throughout this whole season um i think i think this season would have been excellent overall because we've had so many good moments like uh you know we had the palpatine stuff mm -hmm. we had the commander Cody stuff uh, with this with the the planet with the imperial governor, we you know we had all of these different things. Now this episode, the uh, the cross crosshair episode a couple weeks ago, like we've had these different moments. If we had just maybe 
um maybe like two or three more of these type of episodes this season would have been excellent mm, for sure uh so yeah as i said it was cool getting getting Coruscant. i believe that was the same place as uh the martell sisters they they hung out there right i believe that was the same place oh yeah I, that was a yeah yeah I th- it, it it seemed like that was where the martells were like or at least it was supposed to look like it you know yeah and, and there was a nice reference like they were talking about the background of the lead scientist hemlock and they were saying he's from something like the strategic science division or something like that and that was during the republic days and i believe that was maybe the same program that director Orson Krennic was a part of, that Galen Erso was a part of in developing the Death Star. So, like, one of those, like, part of, like, that top secret, like, those projects and all. And the fact that we had that Imperial biting down on that, like, pseudo-cyanide pill again, it was like, this show goes places where I'm like, damn, again, we go from, like, an episode, like, last week where it's all sunshine and happiness, at least until a tsunami shows up, and then you have a guy just straight up offing himself because he's doing it for the Emperor. Yeah, that was, that's one of the best things that Mando introduced. Like, that was such a good, uh, like, good thing they they threw in there that, like, inspired these shows to do that. It's a... so what I was going to ask you, like bringing up, have we got exactly what the order like eighty eight is or whatever that they were alluding to? Wait, order eighty eight because that's what that's what Which Peter one Griffin that? just mentioned in the chat. I'm, I don't know. They they mentioned order eighty eight in this episode. I didn't catch that. I guess. Yeah, I thought they had mentioned it because um, I know there's order ninety nine for next week, and I know that's an ominous yeah. thing or plan ninety nine. Where I thought I heard order eight order eighty eight mentioned in this episode least once or might have been earlier in the year but i and i know other people i saw other people talking about order 88 this week as well so that's why i was thinking like after watching the episode i was like i thought i heard them mention order 88 but i didn't know if i was like you know just impressing on the episode or something but i thought i heard them mention it and i saw other people discussing it but i don't know apparently there's like an order 88 that's potentially out there so i don't know exactly what that's alluding to but i know that's like a mystery thing that's out there too yeah i again i my speculation for next week you didn't have a point of speculating if we're going to be talking about the actual results in a week from time from now but i just still think like some somehow something's going to get deactivated that a lot of clones are going to die see it now they're all going to try to get crosshair there's going to be a little mini clone rebellion there with that little strike team worth maybe we'll get cody to help out and we're at least losing a couple people, and maybe it's because of whatever Plan 99 is going to be. Oh, yeah. Well, see, the thing is, um, the thing is, with next week, it's going to be interesting because obviously they have to, you know, we know there's a season three coming. Obvi- like, there's there's too many storylines well, we to wrap up. we don't know exactly. Like, I, I still have not well, seen any rumors or anything for a season three. And to keep, this in, strongly- keep this in concept... <laughs> The people that watch the episodes that seen them in advance, they only seen up to the last this week's episode. So oh, they, they, they this could be like a Rogue One ending. They could be going into Mount Tantus. You know, Hemlock has his big red button, presses the red button, all the clones die, and then they go back to Pabu and they say, "Okay, we're gonna chill here the rest of our lives because there's no point in fighting the Empire." I don't think it's gonna be that dark, but whoever knows. This is my thing. I think. So, this is the tricky thing. You know, it's an animated show, so obviously you ha- you can't go too dark. You can't go too light. Um, 
But the way they can go about doing it is they basically, I think that is going to be the final clone. Let's just wipe the clones out all at once thing. It's going to be just activate that shocker chip. And I think they're going to do it in a way where it's just alluded to, you know, obviously like we'll see one clone trooper die at Mount Tantus or we'll see one, someone die at Mount Tantus. It'll activate and zap them. And then we'll just like get the hint. It's like, okay, this is what happened across, you know, the galaxy. No, no, no. What's going to happen is they're going to pull George Lucas on us. They're going to give us this John Williams score. That's just this very melancholy score. And we're going to sweep across the galaxy. All of our favorite clone troopers are order just going to like order, execute order 99. And then just like get the sad music of these clones just dropping dead, just all over the well, galaxy. And, well, my thing that's oh, tricky man. with the whole situation is how can they, how can they like go to Mount Tantus and, and like live? You know, obviously Mount Tantus has to continue unless Does they it? just decide not to talk about it does it because my whole thing is it seems like scarif ends up being that top secret location mm-hmm. so i'm also thinking along the lines maybe they're going to go opposite of thrawn trilogy and they're going to just say hey this didn't work out move all the stuff to scarif and then yeah i don't know we'll see yeah i mean it, it might i mean hey we'll find out we'll find out by the end of this year probably in ahsoka <laughs> Yeah, I think so. I think so. Uh, but let's get into uh, our scores out of 10. And, uh, well, you know, we could talk a little bit about Crosshair first, because I know we have yeah. Peter Griffin in the chat has been chiming in quite a bit, man. Thanks. Appreciate it. About, you know, every time he's saying that Crosshair is in the show, you know, it's going to be a good, sh- you know, it's going to be a good episode. Oh, yeah. I agree. <laughs> Who would think that we'd be rooting for this character so much? I think... He hasn't had much screen time, but what he has appeared in has been solid gold every time. And well, yeah, this well, is another one it, of his episodes. Yeah, well, it has to be. It has to do with the the tone of his character. You know, the, the main bad batch bad batch crew is so light hearted esque. Like you know, obviously Omega, Echo, Heck, um, Wrecker, Hunter. Like you know, everybody that's been involved heck even even captain rex when he's been involved to an extent like you know they're more they're so light-hearted and then crosshair is just like to the books like you know a soldier soldier so like he's he's so serious so you know when he's in an episode you know we're not gonna get like lottie da like you know just like messing around with light-hearted stuff for the most part with him hmm yeah yeah it's uh it's just great seeing his tenacity, like even being like half like drugged, just still just often fools that that quickly. Yeah. And, you know, it's just yeah, it's this, crazy how accurate he yeah, still is. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's great to see him being redeemed. It's great to see the reaction of the Bad Batch receiving the message from him, essentially like, oh wow, this is this is from Crosshair. He was over here. Okay, so. Yeah. Good stuff there. I will say I really enjoyed this episode. This episode, I got to give it an 8.5 out of 10. It has great character moments in here with Omega, still learning, still receiving knowledge from all of her 
all of her fathers. I guess she's the, the the bad batch dads there. And then you also have awesome adventure with Crosshair. And you have a greater story of the plot. We even have Tarkin mentioning something about, oh, you know, you can't let these guys go free. You can't let them go free. But also, in fact, having this thing mentioned called the Summit. And I know the next episode or the episode after that is called the Summit. I thought they were just talking about the summit, like the summit of Mount Tantis, for instance. But I think we're going to get a big gathering of people. Maybe we'll see like an Orson Krennic there, something like that. But I'm very curious to see what this gathering is going to be, because that's what I, uh, you know, gathered from when he said that. So I'm curious, but it was nice to hear Stephen saying it was great to see a holocron or hologram, sorry, of Tarkin back. We haven't seen him since season one, episode one, I think. Oh, yeah. It's always great seeing, like, Tarkin's a character, too. You know, they can sprinkle him in here and there, like, whether it be holograms in any of these shows, really. Um, so, it's, like you said, it's great seeing him. Steven Stanton always does, like, such a good job with the voice ever since Rebels and, you know, the early days there. Um, I mean, heck, it'd be cool to see a Tarkin cameo if we ever got one, like, in Andor. Like, like they can they can slip in Tarkin cameos anywhere, because his character makes 100% sense in any of this stuff. Hmm. And yeah, it's just great seeing the Bad Batch not putting up with Sid's BS anymore and actually having a nice heroic kind of story that's been happening where it's like, okay, they're not mercenaries as much anymore. And that's what the season has been about was, hey, these are... Characters that are mercenaries, what do they do after the Republic has fallen? They don't want to be in the Empire, they got to be mercenaries. Eh, maybe they can be more than mercenaries, and that's what this journey of this season has been, to show those small adventures, whether we liked every single one of them, probably not. But overall, I think now seeing them have that greater picture, realize, oh yeah, Echo, yeah, he went over there because maybe he had the right idea with the Rebels, and all that kind of thing. So yeah, what's your score going to be out of 10, and final thoughts on this one, Ben? Yeah, my final thoughts are, you know, pretty much what we've been saying all along. It's been, it's been, it was a really good episode. It really didn't have many negatives to me. Honestly, like, I can't think of any off the top of my head for the most part. Like, I just really enjoyed it. Like, especially, you know, as we just went through having a crosshair focus anytime, basically anytime, not even a cameo, anytime he appears in an episode, you know, something serious is going on. So it's great seeing him and then getting his, like, character like seeing seeing his attributes like we mentioned his accuracy is crazy like even just being like drugged up it's like what in the world so it's cool just seeing him and then of course like you know getting the different character moments with omega and just uh just like seeing the direction of the story where it's where it's pushing forward and the best thing it it did for me honestly you know we haven't said it very much throughout this season you know, watching the Bad Batch, we've had these episodes where it's like, oh man, I, am I even excited for next week? Yeah. And like, I'm actually, I'm actually excited, really excited for. You're next actually week, gonna so. watch this episode before Mando, right? Mm, probably not. Oh <laughs> um, come on, but, you gotta watch the finale before Mando. Oh, can't, can't, I can't, can't do that. <laughs> but, but uh, probably not. But I'm gonna watch it right after Mando, most likely. I'm just gonna watch Mando and then watch this and then go to bed. So uh, I'll probably end up doing it that way. But yeah, overall, I think the episode was really good. And I actually went into this saying it was about an 8.5 as well. All right. I like the slow trend of Bad Batch episodes 
getting there, getting a little higher, getting a little higher every week. And now we're at that point that we knew the greatness of the show from season one. And we're back. We're, I'm just happy we're back. Like, it was looking bleak for a while for us, right? We were not... Go a couple, back a couple episodes, guys, listening to the chat. We were not super <laughs> hopeful about this. At least I at least I was more the hopeful out of you three. <laughs> out of you two. Um, so, yeah. We want to hear what your thoughts are, guys. Uh, send them at us in the chat after the fact. Uh, give us your take on the episode of The Bad Batch. What are you looking forward to? What's some of your speculation? What do you think is going to happen in those final two episodes of season two? Let us know in the comment section down below. Moving on to the Mandalorian season three, episode four, titled The Foundling, in which we have another creature attack on this Mandalorian world. We have the training of Grogu into the Mandalorian ranks, and we have the baby Grogu going through some visions like Din had about exactly who rescued him. And it was one heck of a bomb bad Jedi, if I might ask. We had the return of another than Ahmed Best. That's right. His character from Jedi Temple Challenge has been... Well, he was already canon before, but I guess he's even more canon now that he's in a live-action uh, episode here. We have the character of Kelleran back saving Grogu on Coruscant. But then we also have... The, the freeing of this kid that happens to be Ragnar, son of Paz Vizsla. So we have some lineage there. But yeah, this episode, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I enjoyed it quite a bit. I think as most people would say, yeah, the, the, the flashback was our favorite part of the episode, of course. And this episode could be maybe gathered by some people as, oh, this is another one of those middle of the, middle of the season kind of episodes where it's kind of like meandering a little bit. And it's fine. Like, I, I, I feel like there was a purpose. Some people probably already are screaming filler and stuff like that on the internet, of course, as it's been happening more and more. But there was a lot of growth with Grogu here. There's especially yeah. a lot of growth with Bo-Katan. So between those two characters, this was a story worth telling, worth showing us, because it did further uh, both of those characters. Well, it didn't really do much for the plot, the overall scope of, okay, what's happening? Actually, we don't really know so much about that. Although we do have hints. They br keep bringing back the Mythosaur. Bo-Katan even mentions it to the armor. So I think, as you said, Ben, in our chat, that that could be oh. happening soon. Uh, but yeah, overall, I enjoyed the episode. What were your thoughts on this one, Ben? Yeah, overall, I thought the episode was very good. I really enjoyed all of it, honestly. Like, like you mentioned, the flashback, of course, was everybody's highlight because we were so hyped about seeing who saved Grogu. And then the fact it was Ahmed Best, like, it was really cool seeing him, especially after all the stuff he's gone through, you know, um, back when he played Jar Jar during the prequels. And, you know, it was just great seeing him really get, like, um, redeemed and, like, loved by the fans again. Like, it, it was just awesome seeing that. And then, of course, all of the different stuff all of the different um, stuff going on with the Mandalorian people. Like, you know, I love the opening of the episode. Like I messaged in our group chat. I was smiling, smiling so much. I love the training sequence between Grogu and that kid because it was just great seeing. I was like, I went into it thinking like, how in the heck is Grogu going to fight a, a kid? You know, so it was really cool seeing seeing him, him uh, go up against the kid. And then... <clears throat> excuse me yeah um just as it was cool seeing 
that happen. And then, like you mentioned, seeing Bo-Katan more and more, like her character is developing more and more and more. And I honestly think, like I was messaging in our group chat, I really feel like one of the big story plot points of this story that a lot of people are overlooking, I think it's honestly one of the main plot points is the Mandalorians and then the Mythosaur arc and basically the reuniting of Mandalore and the Mandalorian people. Like, I honestly think that's one of the big storylines here um, for the season. Like, I really think that's like, if it's not A1, it's A2 it's a A two for the plot, I would say. So I think that's a very important plot point. And then, like you said, with people with filler, like filler to me are episodes that are completely throwaway, like that don't do anything for the anything any any part of the story not just the plot any part of the story and this episode was a huge episode for grogu and then a huge episode for like you said bo katan it's like they're really really building up bo katan like she is gonna be the like like my thing i was i was thinking about like what if she is the mandalorian yeah like, i was this thinking season? about that a lot yeah what if, what if she is this the mandal the mandalorian because Honestly, the way they're progressing this storyline, the way she's gaining her confidence with these characters, the respect with the characters. I mean, look, she's the one leading the hunting party for the big creature that took the kid. And, you know, props to Katie Sackhoff. She does such a great job acting. Like, I loved I loved her uh, uh, when she was talking to Din, and she was like, wait, how do we eat? Like, that was such yes. a good, like, that was a perfect, to me, that Star Wars comedy at its finest. Like, that is such a good little chuckle. Like, you know, perfect time to, like, it was such a good moment. And it was such, like, a good moment of, like, leadership for her characters with the other Mandalorian people. So, like, I really think they're really angling um, Bo-Katan to be the big character of the season. Because, I don't know about you, Chris, but, like, I think with the way they're going... There's no way Din's going to be the one to defeat the Mythosaur or ride it or whatever. It's going to be, it has to be Bo-Katan at this oh, point, yeah. in my opinion. Oh, yeah. There's there's no doubt. I'm fine with that. I'm totally fine with that. Like, I, I love her character, so. Yeah, her, her character has really come a long way. I mean, you look at her in season two, just, you know, right out there, just making fun of Din. Oh, this is the way, you know, just blatant. Yeah. But then after seeing the Mythosaur, this is like the spiritual journey she has been on, this epiphany, if you will being in that Mandalorian culture and just seeing how the people have welcomed her. And she's got a really good head on her shoulders. There's a reason why she's a leader. She's done this a lot of times before you see in the Clone Wars. Go back and watch that. If you've not watched the Clone Wars, seriously, go back and at least watch the, the Bounty Hunter episodes or the the episodes involving Death Watch, which she first was a part of. But it is interesting. It's like a paradigm shift. All of a sudden, Din Djarin seemed to take a backseat Yep. But it makes sense. I mean, it's not like this is, you know, the job of the hut show. It's she's still she's still a Mandalorian, so technically you could just say, Yeah, this is the Mandalorian show, but it's based off of Bo Katan now, not yep. Dr. Pershing, as some people were a little bit perturbed the prior week. Yeah. It's like, what is this? This guy's not a Mandalorian. Yeah, I mean, just think with um I think this episode honestly was like signifying like the Mandalorian, it's it's probably Bo Katan and Grogu. I think those are the the Mandalorian, like you could use it for either of them too. Like, I, at this point, the more and more I, I feel like I feel like I know it's like such a weird comparison, but I feel like Din is turning into 
kind of Joel from The Last of Us, where it's like he's kind of just the middleman between all this stuff going on. Yeah. Like he really feels like he's the middleman just between all this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting to see his character kind of taking that arc where he's just like that guy. Um, and then another big part of the episode I thought was really great, like like seeing, you know, while we're on the Bo-Katan topic, it, seeing her interaction with the armor, like how she's getting so like interested in like the whole stuff with the mythosaur. And it was great, like, you know, the armor her basically trying to like shoot her down on the whole mythosaur stuff. Like she was like, hey, you know, can you... S- you know what if you what if i've seen him and you know the armor it was basically one of those like you know you you see like religious people say oh yeah yeah you've seen that before like you know it's just kind of like yeah sure sure buddy yeah you're you're right yeah you definitely saw that like it was more like a sarcastic like her her going along with bow so it's gonna make things even more interesting because i feel like this coming week or in the coming weeks we're gonna get some type of a conversation with bow basically saying to the armor like hey like we're going to Mandalore and we're gonna like go after this thing or some or however I don't know how however even you hunt a mythosaur or like you know track them down or something, but you know I think that's what's gonna be one of the plot points with Bo that they're gonna have to go to Mandalore to do that. Um, so yeah, I think I think that was a really important part of the episode, um, and also it's gonna be an important part to me anyways for building up her character and her credibility to this group of Mandalorians because, you know, when she eventually does do that, I mean, we're assuming she will, um, whenever she, she does do that, like that'll like put the credibility in those people's heads. Like, Oh my gosh, like she, like she did it. And like, you know, all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It is. uh, Yeah. It's very, very cool how this season has progressed to the point where, I did not see this coming from Bogotan. Uh, that this was a nice surprise, just seeing her assimilating into this culture. Uh, and we thought, oh, up front, they are fooling us with the marketing. Oh, yeah, you know, if obviously she's got it out for Din. She's going to try to kill Din. It's going to be this head-butting battle. Now, now we're seeing these people just eating food together as much as they can with their helmets off, of course. Um, but it's, it's really interesting. Uh, we have um, in the chat here, one of the comments coming through from Peter Griffin was said, he was almost expecting her to get the the mudhorn symbol on her, her shoulder pad as she lost. And of course, Clan yeah. 2 said that can't happen. But yeah, to have that thought, uh, Peter, just, yeah, I mean, they're that close at this point. I could see that happening. But opening up, going back to the beginning of the episode, this is more of like a, a Mandalorian lore thing that I really just dug a lot was the fact that just we're seeing this mass of Mandalorians just training. There's some with Beskar spears, some with flamethrowers, some just shooting, some fighting with fibro knives. Like, that's so Mandalorian from the Old Republic. It's literally like a page out of a comic book. We know these guys are merciless warriors. That's what they're doing. They're like the Spartans of the Star Wars universe. They're, they're the few, the, the proud, the Marines. They are just the ultimate warrior next to a Jedi because they are meant to fight Jedis. We know from the Clone Wars, from... Uh, good old pre Vizsla explained it to Obi-Wan like these guys fought the Jedi they were having to develop these techniques and these gadgets and this equipment to go against the Jedi so to see these guys just duking it out just all the mismatched different kinds of armor I love going to conventions because every convention I go to whether it be New York Comic Con or, or Star Wars Celebration 
you always have the Mando Mercs in attendance, and these guys have been doing it for years and years and years where they have all their own unique crafted armor, and they go through like a little parade at some point through the convention, and everybody loves it because it's so badass. So I instantly thought of that because, yeah, all these costumes are unique. Some guys have like capes and stuff. I just enjoyed seeing that aspect and seeing like the EU, the Legends version of the Mandalorian come to even more fruition with just the idea of like, yeah, we're just seeing their day-to-day of what they do, hanging out, just fighting, training, you know? Even Grogu has to get involved. Yeah, that was, that was, it was, like you said, it was so cool seeing that scene play out, the whole training sequence, because, because it, like you said, it reminded you, the old Republic, it reminded you of video games, of just comic books, of legends, of anything. It, it's only, it, it was so unique and so cool just seeing that play out. And I do think that's kind of foreshadowing, though. I think all these guys are going to get into some big battle. You know, they show us training because we're going to get a battle eventually, I'd assume. Um, So, like, I think that's part of it. And then, like you said, now Grogu's having to get involved with training as well. I was kind of like, I was a little nervous. Don't get me wrong. Of course, you know, it's Grogu, so he's going to be protected, most likely. Um, But I was like, man, uh, I hope this kid doesn't, like, I don't know, just injure Grogu to a degree or something because I was like, man, I don't know how this is going to play out. And I was thinking, I don't know, or is Grogu just going to like do a crazy force thing on him and send him flying? But, uh, but I really like how they did it, especially with him, like jumping over him and shooting him a few times. Like it was, it was really cool how they, how they did that training sequence because then, you know, it just, it shows Grogu's becoming more of a Mandalorian, even as a baby. So I like that. I mean, heck, even, you know, we're on the Grogu and the Mando training sequence topic. That was another portion in it where, I mean, look, Bo-Katan taking on a leadership role. She was like, you know, don't worry, kid. My dad, like, put me through all this stuff, too. Like, you know, so she's taking on a leadership role, even with, like, technically, you know, one of the most, like, unique Mandalorians in Grogu. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So... It it's fun stuff. I mean, I, the Mando storyline. Just we'll stay on that until we go to the flashback. But what'd you think about? First off, like the chase. Like I like the idea. Finally, like we've seen so many times on Clone Wars and Rebels, like Mando's flying with their jetpacks, and it just they keep flying. It's like, what's the point of using ships if you're in atmosphere? You could just use a jetpack. So it was nice getting acknowledgement that they do run out of fuel. So that was kind of cool. Um, yeah, but I mean, the whole sequence with the climbing was really cool again it shows the capabilities of the mandalorian how resourceful they are how how tenacious they are how driven they are climbing up the mountain and all that kind of thing oh you do i said we've really never seen climbing in live action star wars for the most part oh you know true i don't you know you know what i mean think about that i was thinking about that it's like when I was watching that, I was like, dude, I've never seen anything like this in Star Wars. It reminded me of like something you'd see out of like a special forces movie or something, like just seeing him climb all around and stuff. Like that was that was such a neat part, but continue. Yeah, that just going ahead and seeing this creature regurgitate the kid, like that was really strange. And it it was pretty cool just seeing again, just seeing I, I still can't get a I still get a kick out of it. Just seeing Mandalorians flying around to the whipcords, 
you know, I was watching this with my mom and it was like, oh, yeah, like this is the guy that made Iron Man and it shows because you got all these guys using their jetpacks like just like Iron Man, you know, so it's just it's good stuff. And yeah, not everybody likes these episodes where it's just like, oh, here we go. They fought the alligator. They fought this thing, but at least they tied it together where there's always a bigger fish, as Qui-Gon once said, and that thing gets eaten by an alligator. So I liked how it did come around at least full circle, showing the danger of the environment they're in. But the fact that the Mandalorians continue to stay there, it's just a testament to their hardiness as warriors and as survivors to be like, yeah, whatever. Like, if we're not strong enough and we die to this thing, then obviously we're not worthy enough. So we're going to stay our stay here and, and fight and, and train here. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, like you said, <clears throat> they're, they're staying there. They could easily just move locations, for example. Um, but it, it is, it's cool seeing them train and fight and die there. I mean, like, you know, you have those things. And like you said, some people, these episodes, episodes may not be for some people because they want more like direct, like, Hey, this is the plot, blah, blah, blah. Like that sort of thing. But I do think there's a lot of um, like overlooking being done with a lot of this stuff because I really do think one of the main plots of the season is the Mandalorian like culture and people. Like I think that's a very big plot point. Um, and then yeah, just seeing how they're acting. I mean, I mean that kid was one of the Mandalorian's um, sons, you know. So it was just cool seeing the way they they the way they played it out like that, and then. Yeah, I just, I don't know, I really liked, you know, like you said, just seeing the Mandalorians out and about flying in the environment, like, like all that sort of stuff, you know, John Favreau nails it because he, he had an idea of how to shoot flying, um, I guess, bodies, you would say, you know, from Iron Man, like he had experience with that. So you can tell, like, if you would just like, uh, superimpose a Tony Stark over top of any of these Mandalorians flying around, like you yep. could see... You could you could see that being Iron Man flying instead of Din Djarin or whoever. <laughs> like, yeah, and and how about as Peter's mentioning in the chat? Thanks so much for the activity, man. It's really it's, this is what happens when you join our YouTube show. We interact with you guys, so come on by, come on by live show every Friday at nine o'clock Eastern. But as Peter was saying, they got three baby House of the Dragon esque. Uh, oh, I love that. That was such a Mandalorian Star Wars thing. We, we talk about it here on the channel, on the show, how Star Wars has that certain level of cheese, that certain level of like fantasy where it's like you've seen it a lot in season one, especially with the Mandalorian, with the Jawas and with the with the egg and the Suga, Suga, and they're cutting it open and they're just drinking the egg of the Mudhorn. Like I got the same vibe of just the antics of like, you know, you never want to judge Star Wars too too closely with the science and the physics of it all. But I'm like, how the hell are those three gigantic bird creatures smushed into that gauntlet fighter? But I'm here for it because it's it's just so bizarre. And it's like, okay, obviously they're gonna train those ride. It's like it's literally like Game of Thrones now. You have three yeah. dragons, and in the prophecies of A Song of Ice and Fire. You had three worthy people that were going to ride the dragons. You were going to have Daenerys ride one. You are going to have uh, Jon oh, Snow ride the other. And then you are going to have Tyrion Lannister riding another one. And You know what? It's like, all right, who are our three Mandalorians that are going to ride these things? Think. We got 
it almost if if, we're, if we get our characters writing these things, think about this. It kind of mirrors Game of Thrones so much, even in terms of stature. We got uh, Daenerys, Bo-Katan, um, Jon Snow, Mando, and then Tyrion, <laughs> smaller, um, Grogu. <laughs> you're, yeah, you're like I gotta say that's a pretty good one. You know, I mean, like Daenerys Stormborn, Mother of Dragons, Targaryen was always going to be the one for the throne. Kind of like Bo-Katan, who was like, yeah, that throne of Mandalore should be mine. And Mando is just like Jon Snow. It's just like, yeah, I don't really care about any of it. I'm just trying to make my way through the universe. And then Grogu is just like, yeah, I'm just a short little person uh, just trying to eat a lot of frogs and and hang out with my my dad here. You know, it's just... Yeah. Yeah, it's that's that's definitely an interesting um mirroring. I mean, heck, it's funny like we get that and then like, you know, you had had Bespin like saying earlier in the week that that like we're going to get a House of the Dragon director on Skeleton Crew and it's like it's uh it's interesting like these Game of Thrones connections. It's very very interesting. And actually Peter is saying that Grogu is more like King Bran and he's actually even more apt with that uh, analysis because yeah. Grogu has the Force connection, just like Bran has the connection to the old weirwood trees throughout Westeros. So, and he can see past, present, and future. So, yeah, Grogu is definitely more of a seer than just like a jokester or scoundrel just sitting around hey. living off his dad's like money. Here's something, <laughs> we don't, we don't know, um, we don't know the time. Like, if we get any type of a potential, like you know, time jump in this season, like what if we see those dragons, those creatures getting used? You know, when we get to, like, the Mythosaur episode. Oh! I mean, oh, I could see them, but, yeah, like, really, like, how are they? Those things can't even fly yet. <laughs> I mean, it's we... Star Wars. Hey, we're, 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 we're imposing our logic onto, onto a universe with laser swords, so... Yeah, um, it's useless to try to talk science and all sometimes. Yeah, but yeah and then they'll be, like, yeah. in the next episode and say, hey, it's just like those old things from the 90s, you know, you put a drop of water on it, and it's like... Big, yeah, like maybe yeah, they, yeah, maybe yeah. they just have to feed these things a couple a couple biscuits and they'll be good to go yeah gotta get <laughs> those imperial grade biscuits from the empire's ships on coruscant speaking of going to coruscant i called it that wasn't anakin skywalker coming through the door i said hey watch it's gonna be some clones and some kind of cutting tool device that we've seen in clone wars wasn't wrong although i think it would have been a cool opportunity to see hayden i mean he's probably on the set not too long before this, but anyway, I digress. So, yes, we see Grogu, we see these Jedi and all this, and it's like it's the last one we would have ever expected is Ahmed Best, and I I was surprised I didn't have a stronger reaction. I know I've seen a lot of people on Twitter crying and in happiness, and I was just like, I guess part of it made so much sense to me that I wasn't like super shocked. Like, I'm surprised I didn't like go crazy. I actually watched this episode like 3.45 in the morning. Because yep, I same. fell asleep at like 8.30 at night. And I was like, yes, that means I could... I woke up and I was like, hey, that's six and a half hours of sleep. At least um, I'm going to just stay up and watch this episode. So I was able to watch Bad Batch and then watch this. Maybe it was so early in the morning that I just like was lacking any kind of emotion. But I just kind of stone-faced watching it like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Meanwhile, the whole internet is losing their minds like... Oh my gosh, Jar Jar Binks, his actors, and it makes it makes good sense because if you look at the lore of this character, Star Wars Jedi Knight or Star Wars Jedi Temple Challenge came out two years ago on the Star Wars Kids YouTube channel. There's 
10 episodes and it's basically legends of the hidden temple star wars edition and if you look on wikipedia and uh, he was like literally an academy trainer of jedi padawans kind of like how yoda is uh, in the same kind of thing and he's a master called the sabered hand and i have a whole video i put out a companion video of this this week go check it out on the channel um youtube.com slash star raptor but yeah, it makes perfect sense because based off of lore, like he trained younglings and also, of course, like they're like, get get this Grogu to Kelleran back. He's he knows how to deal with you and all that kind of thing. And there we go. We got a lot of cool action. I can never get enough of seeing phase two clone troopers in the flesh, not artificially created with CGI actually having the full fledged clones in person like we've seen in Andor and Obi-Wan is always a blast. And Getting like an Attack of Clones-esque chase scene again with a bark speeder with a side passenger seat, which is awesome because the Star Wars Legion miniature game I play, I have like three of those things. And I've, I'm always like, why are these things existing? They they only exist in like the, the one Clone Wars episode. But anyway, I'm going off track here. I like this this sequence. I thought it was really cool and really excited. What did you think about this one, Ben? I thought it was excellent. And the funny thing is, with you saying your reaction, so I had actually had a very similar reaction just because, like, I was really happy for Ahmed. It was great seeing him, like, back in Star Wars and, like, getting redeemed in an awesome role where it was like he's a Jedi and he's saving the character we all love. Like, that was really cool. Um, but, yeah, my, my reaction was kind of similar to yours. It was like... Like, I saw it. Like, don't get me wrong. If it would have been, like, Mace Windu, we would have all had a major meltdown at 3.45 in the morning. Um, just because it would have been, like, internet mind-breaking. But seeing Ahmed, my reaction, instead of being, like, you know, like, mind-bending, it was more of, like, like I instantly thought, yeah, that makes sense. I could see where they would do that because it makes sense. Like, you know, for Ahmed, like, I went, my angle, um... I had briefly forgotten about that, the Temple Challenge uh, show. So my angle, I was th my, my very first reaction um, at that hour in the morning was just like, oh yeah, I could see where they're coming from that. Like, you know, just to like bring Ahmed back into the fold and like, you know, get him in good graces with everybody and all that. So like, that was my reaction more than just like, oh my gosh, like blah, 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 blah. Like, you know, going crazy. Um... I think my reaction would have been that if it had been like Mace Windu or Plo Koon or I don't know, whoever, um, like potentially one of those characters, but like think Ahmed, like, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. I, I liked it a lot. Um, yeah. And then, and then it was good. It was good that it didn't end up being Anna. Like, don't get me wrong. I would have loved to seen, seen that be Anakin coming through the door, but if it would have been Anakin, the problem with that is he would have probably like instantly killed um, Ahmed's character, like or very quickly taking taking him out or something. So like, yeah. I'm glad they didn't do that because I think it would have been a mega like disservice to Ahmed like to come back and then just get instantly killed in one scene. So yeah. like, it's good they didn't take that route because it would have been like kind of a disservice to him. But they show how good he is as a Jedi, and I love that. Like, oh, I know, but you know, it's I mean, facts. Anakin, he's, you know, yeah, like, yeah. It's, no, like, I'm just saying know, in general, just, I like the oh, yeah, sequence yeah. of him being so capable as a Jedi Master and being very yeah. cool, like as cool, like cool headed, like 
yeah, the, yeah. the whole temple's burning, but he's handling his own pretty well. And he's got oh, yeah. two sabers. Two. Oh, I love that. The fact, the fact that he had two sabers was That he was had two awesome. sabers. We, barely, we rarely see that in live-action Star Wars, having dual-wielding. We've seen yeah. Anakin do it in Attack of the Clones, but is that the first time we really see it in live-action other than that? I mean... Well, Ray had two lightsabers first and off against Sidious, I, I guess, for a few moments there. The background, I think in the background, didn't Ayla have two sabers and attack the clones in the arena? I think. Oh. I think Ayla did. But other than. Yeah, I mean, the fact that he. Not, like, not prominently. No. Yeah. The fact that it was showcased and he was force pushing a clone off the edge and he was just deflecting. And he was a really good pilot, too, being able to outrun an LAT like that. Yeah. That was that was really neat. I I just like that sequence a lot. So overall, oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, overall, it was like it's gonna show. I like how it shows Grogu getting the plate. Right, they're keeping that that way of introducing the flashbacks. It's really cool. It's like okay, you're seeing into the into the smelting process here, and it's gonna call back mirror memories, and it's part I of the red passage. Seeing, I I think we're gonna keep seeing more and more of those though, like. Not maybe not this season, but sprinkled throughout the series yeah. going forward. Because I think I think it's going to be kind of like a really long version of how Arrow does yes. things. I think we're eventually gonna we're gonna eventually get to him. I mean, heck, they might even go full blown connective to the first episode of the series. I think we're gonna eventually get to him being placed in that like shelter thing, like eventually in this in the flashbacks. Hmm. Just yeah. because it, it feels like it's going in that direction. It's just, it makes it even more confusing. Okay, how does he end up, you know, where he does in episode one of The Mandalorian? Like, what happens to Keller and Beck? Like, how is he secured with this great master Jedi? Does it lead yeah. to tragedy? Where is he now? Like, of course, every time you introduce a Jedi, you immediately have to start thinking about what happens if it's in between these two trilogies. My, my thing I always joke around about that stuff is it's like, man, these Jedi, we have all these, like, don't get me wrong, I love seeing all these Jedi around. But it's like, man, all these Jedi are just taking a lot of time off during the events of the original trilogy. They're just chilling on, like, Naboo on the beach or something. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, between him escaping with Grogu, and then, of course, I thought the chase was really good. Like, I really liked... You know, seeing Coruscant, and it felt like you said it felt like Attack of the Clones to me, like the way it looked. So, I really, really liked it a lot. Um, and yeah, just it just really, it just really hit home. Um, you know, the the Ahmed stuff, it was cool. Um, I didn't get like a mind breaking reaction, but I just thought it was a really good sequence. Of re it was really deserved. It makes me wonder if he's gonna be a guest at Celebration, like potentially a surprise guest or something, mm. just because it's like. You know, after seeing him back, I could I could see him being at celebration, potentially like talking about all this like stuff or something, or his Star Wars journey or something. You know. Yeah, and that's I was on the same uh, brainwaves here because I was thinking about the, the celebration twenty nineteen. That was the the twenty year anniversary for Attack of the Clones, right? And he showed up at that panel and he got a standing ovation. Brought him to tears, of course. I mean, if you went through what he did, of course, you would, you know, it was a very emotional moment um, for everybody in the crowd. I was there. It was really a really awesome, powerful moment. Like, 
seeing him welcome back into the family, so to speak, the community there with all the diehard Star Wars fans and people around the world. And I like to think at that at that convention, there must have been talks with Filoni there, with Favre there. They probably were like backstage, like, hey, man, like we see how much the fans love you. Like, what do you think about having a role in Star Wars? And I feel like that probably was the day when they probably started having talks like yeah. like Lucasfilm looking at that reaction and be like, you know what? Now's the time. Like this guy deserves to get this and, and be a prominent role in Star Wars, not just with Jar Jar, but let's see his face. And, and I just like how, how he was portraying himself just as himself. Like that was just really neat. We don't, we've seen that actually earlier this year, right? With Stoke and then having Kino Loy with Andy Serkis. So that was neat how Star Wars, is repurposing actors from the CGI to get the full, you know, regular acting treatment too. I think it's a, as a great job from Lucasfilm. It's also great for the actors going to conventions because then they can sign as twice as many autographs and stuff. Cause now they have two characters that they could be saying that they play, you know? So. Yeah. Hey, instead of Count Dooku saying twice the pride, double the fall, twice the, twice the, Character appearances, <laughs> double the money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I don't even want to know now. This price is already sky high as it is. Because oh, you know you know, if he's at Celebration, potentially, he's going to be signing a million pictures of him as that as uh, oh, the yeah. Jedi. Like, you know um, and, you know, I'm sure they'll have some figures or something for him because like, it's just, it is, it's really cool seeing him. And then he he acted well. I thought his acting was was pretty good. Like it wasn't like just weird. Um, so I thought that was done really good. And uh, yeah, just like you said, it was it was cool seeing him not like be like all panicky. Like he was a cool level headed Jedi, you know, coming in to to do what Jedi's do and like save the day. And then um, it makes me wonder too. You know, when we were talking about the flashback stuff, are we gonna see more of him in the flashbacks potentially? Yeah, I I can't imagine this is his first and only appearance, especially as somebody oh, this prominent. You just don't like leave it where it's like, oh, and uh, in a footnote, he ends up going away somewhere. Uh, it's not going to happen. Uh, I'm very, very curious about what happens next. But hey, maybe, maybe it Tales of the Jedi, potentially. Oh, man, that's one of the... I, I'll be honest, like going into Celebration in two weeks, like... I low-key really want them to announce Season 2 or Anthology 2 or whatever they're going to call it, branded as... Or just... Tales of the Sith. Tales of the Sith, please. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know how well it did. I haven't really heard about any numbers that Tales of the Jedi did. And, you know, of course, with anything, when I mean, we've seen Willow get axed after one season, or at least put on the back burner. So we know that Disney is scrutinizing more things, but I would like to think that it did well enough to warrant more episodes. And I... I can't imagine it, it costs that much money. First of all, it's animated. It's not live action. Second of all, there's only one guy that's involved, and it's Dave Filoni, so you don't have to pay another writer. Yeah, It's just like, all right, Clone Wars, Bad Batch people, especially if Bad Batch is in season three, that means they're probably getting to the tail end of the show. Maybe they can spare more help and animate that. But anyway, that's, that's enough of that. <laughs> yeah, so let's wrap it up. We'll give a thoughts and scores out of 10. For right, this sounds good. For this fine episode of The Mandalorian, I'm going to give this one an 8 out of 10. I, I enjoyed this one. I would say I was I was looking for a little bit more from the plot, but that's not a bad thing because, as we said, there's going to be a lot of development for Grogu with his his confidence in his ability, um, definitely stemming from that little, little duel with the Ragnar guy there. 
Um, but also seeing the fantastic as we just spent some time talking about a really cool cameo that deserved to be near that felt right to be out that didn't feel forced at all. It felt like it felt natural for a teacher to be the one saving his student. Obviously, um, it wasn't just like, oh, this is Barisofi. What, what relation does she even have to Grogu? You know what I mean? It could have been some weird thing, but no, it wasn't. And Bo-Katan suddenly becoming like the star of the Mandalorian. So it's really cool seeing Katie Sackoff really doing exceptional work there. And then, um, yeah, just everything. Like I said, I would have liked to see a little bit more of like, okay, let, let's look at the larger scope of things, but we're only halfway through the season, so I'm not going to get too hard on it for that just yet. So again, I'm going to give this one an 8 out of 10. What about you, Ben? Yeah, I think for me, um, just bouncing off your final point there, I think the way you do that is add 10 minutes to the episode, honestly. Um, like if they just add 10 minutes to the episode, you could easily jumped on to maybe more of the whatever the a1 plot is potentially yeah. so i think that's a, that's an easy solution there um but yeah overall for this episode i think it was very good i really enjoyed basically every aspect of it like all the main the main mandalorian stuff i really like like i'm i'm a big big fan of that storyline um especially with the mythosaur stuff i can't wait to potentially see that in live action i'm assuming we will just based on all of this foreshadowing um, and then just seeing Katie Sackhoff's character continue to progress. Cause I mean, I've liked her from the beginning. Like she's, she was great in Clone Wars and then, um, she's been amazing. She's been awesome in some of her other projects she's done. She has a great sci-fi show on Netflix that was on there. And then, you know, now this, like her appearances in the Mandalorian has been awesome. And it's cool seeing her kind of like transition the reins to where she's potentially the Mandalorian. So it's just cool seeing how that's playing out and then of course seeing grogu's character development like he's getting more and more skilled um it does make me wonder as well so like him training doing this little training sequence it makes me wonder if we're going to get into a situation later in the year where he has to use like a little blaster to save himself um <laughs> so it makes me wonder that and yeah. then then of course like the flashbacks you know the flashback sequence was was really good like it was great seeing coruscant it was great getting more of that order 66 vibe like the pan like the um just the overall vibe because you know when that's going on you know crazy stuff is about to happen on whatever scene you're watching so um it was great getting to see how ahmed's character like ahmed himself got redeemed i thought that was really nice um and then of course just to see the the flashback we've been all asking we've all been asking about it for so long like where is this leading? And now we, we have this answer. And now, like you said, it potentially opens up another door. Like they may keep doing more flashbacks with this character in Grogu and, you know, just to see where everybody goes. So yeah, overall, I think the episode was really good for me. It's an 8.7 just because I really like this stuff. And I think, I think one of the big plots, as I mentioned earlier in this, in this review, I think one of the big, Plots of this season is the Mandalorian and the Mythosaur stuff. I think that's like a big plot point that uh, that's one of the main plots of the story. So I so for me, it's an eight point seven. Yeah, I could see I could see the brunt of this season being Mandalorian focused. Now I was going yep. back and forth with Empire. Like this show is at least getting another fourth season, and I would 
probably think of season five to maybe cap it oh, out for the he, whole thing. Well, well, I'll throw out there. I'll throw this out there too, real quick, Chris. Um, so my thing with that is, so I went into the season assuming we were going to be having a lot of Mandalorian stuff for this season. Like I, just because I was under the assumption the whole season was going to be like going into my theories and predictions. I was expecting this whole um, Din Djarin going to the mines. I thought this was going to be like one B to the story plot, potentially with the empire stuff. But I was thinking we were going to get a ton of Mandalorian stuff. I was thinking it was going to be a big Mandalorian focused season with a bit of empire in it. And now we're getting a lot of Mandalorian focused stuff. In just a different way. Obviously, we have the the whole mind stuff done, but now it's just more, you know, it's Mandalorians like everywhere. So like, it's gonna be interesting to see how they end up transitioning to next week's episode. Just because it's like, where I wonder where we're heading from here. Is it gonna be the Empire potentially? Because you know, we know the Empire or some some part of the Empire took out Bo-Katan's house. So it's just like, mm-hmm. it makes me wonder what where we're headed next for the for the final stretch run of the season oh hell yeah so look forward to that next week our thoughts next week as far as our schedule we'll be back for another episode next week it'll be the last episode for a couple weeks because i'll be going away to europe for celebration for just general traveling so i'll be away uh we won't have any episodes uh for the first week the first two weeks of april will be on hiatus Longest hiatus yet, because you guys know uh, the only reason why I never do an episode is if I'm at a convention, which is basically the only reason why I'm never here on a. I I won't be here on a Friday, unless barring some crazy thing happens, and I'll try to always record earlier in the week. But yeah, I'll use that as a as a time to get away from this. Even though I still be in Star Wars land, and I will try to post things on Twitter. You can find me at Star Raptor on Twitter. Ben, where can they follow you? You can follow me on Twitter at Real Ben Maynard. I'm always on always on there talking sports and Star Wars. And then you can find me on Instagram as well at Real Ben Maynard. I'm pretty much documenting like my fitness journey on getting uh getting shredded again. So yeah, it's always fun. And then if you want to find Milton, Milton is on Twitter at Milton Weber with the number seven. And then his Instagram um, he he does a lot of fitness stuff like I do, like posting his workouts, and he posts a lot of his um, meal preps and stuff. And his Instagram is Milton, the number seven, and then Weber. There you go. And you can find me on Battle.net playing Diablo 4 open beta all weekend long. Um, loving it, playing the rogue character right now. Trying to get to level 20 so I get my little cosmetic wolf puppy pack thing that you get in the real game when it comes out in June. So. Yeah, you can basically find me playing that game this weekend. <laughs> hey, there you go. So there you go. For Milton, for I, Chris, for Ben, that's going to do it for Adderim Transmission number 101. I want to thank the people in the chat with Peter and with Dark Nerdy Gonzo. And all of you guys can join us again next week, 9 o'clock Eastern Time. That's going to do it for us. Leave us comments. Leave us emails, actually, because we have outerroomtransmission at gmail.com for all your questions, comments, thoughts on the episode. Otherwise, you know how to contact us where we are on the Internet. Have a good one, everybody. May the Force be with you always in transmission.